Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is a podcast about making work work. You'll learn about leadership, career growth, and how to navigate those weird work challenges. I run a HR consulting business called Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you lead a team or run a business and you think I can help, let's connect on LinkedIn. Today on the show, we are joined by Shane Hatton. Shane is a leadership speaker, author, and culture expert. And he is, as you know, a fan favorite, always back on the pod. And so, you know what? We just got to give the people what they want. So, enjoy on this episode we're talking about all your listener questions from everything to burnout new to leadership and what do you do when you get stuck in your career let's get into it so shane we're gonna jump straight in with a banger of a question from jackie so like there is no beating around the bush here we don't like kind of have this no warm-up there is no warm-up <laughs> No warm-up. Okay, here you go. And you know what? You can throw it back to me if you feel like I've given you like a hospital pass with this one. But what are the signs of burnout? <laughs> I feel like doing no warm-up is like the, the number one way that you can guarantee an injury. And so my concern right now is that we're jumping straight <laughs> into the deep stuff without any real warm-up. I'm really conscious of of not trying to step into a psychological role. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a therapist. And I think one of the things that's really important to talk about is that burnout is not just a bit of stress. Burnout is an actual physiological condition. It's a psychological condition that affects a lot of people in a really profound way. So I want to make sure that we draw the line, the distinction between someone who's just really, really stressed out and someone who's burned out. Because I don't know what your experience is like. Most people, when they're feeling stressed, they, their first default response is, I feel really burned out. Do you, do you hear mm. people saying that or using that phrase? Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, and so we've got to be careful when, when we're trying to distinguish between those two because people who I talk to that experience burnout are typically the people who can't even get out of bed in the morning. They're struggling to go to work every single day. They they don't have the energy to do a lot of things um, that their life demands of them, and so that's not just feeling a bit stressed out. Um, that's a real physiological impact of that. And so I think maybe we can talk a little bit about burnout and experience of that. But I think maybe what would be helpful for us to explore is like, how do you pick up the signs early that you might be on a path towards mm. that kind of experience? Because I'm sure, Shell, you've experienced that. I've experienced that. We've all probably had those almost telltale signs that we're heading down a path that is going to affect us in a really bad way. And so one of the questions I always love asking people is what is, what is your individual signs that you're doing too much, that you've taken on too much, that you're processing too much? Do you have some telltale signs for yourself that you know? Yes. Short answer. <laughs> and I'm much more aware of them now <laughs> than I was earlier in my career. Um, bit of maturity maybe, or maybe just like having to learn the difficult and hard way about burnout. And I totally agree. Burnout is not simply feeling stressed or feeling exhausted. Mm. It is an acute condition. I, I think it's been really helpful that the World Health Organization has started to communicate what burnout is as yeah. a condition and that it is something that is 
affecting so many people's lives in a really profound way. I think for me, there's a couple of signs and I loved actually on a previous episode, Declan Edwards talked about the 12 signs of burnout. And that is a really helpful tool and framework that can show you kind of on a continuum where you sit. And the whole concept of that is that we're all somewhere on that continuum. It just depends how acute what we're experiencing is. And so it kind of starts with this compulsive need to prove yourself. And anyone who's listening to the careers pod has probably felt that at some point, the compulsive need to prove yourself at work. And so I think we can all relate to some aspects of that. I think when it starts to get for me personally, I'll, I'll speak from my own like kind of lived experience of having gone through burnout, having taken, I know I've said this a number of times on the podcast, taken three months off work where I couldn't get out of bed. I was really not well. I think when it gets acute is when cert- that stage towards the end of that burnout continuum where you start withdrawing, where you revise your personal values, where you start to dismiss internal conflicts, where you really disregard your own physical and personal needs. So so there's some of the signs that are common for people. For me personally, I tend to notice it in my body if I'm starting to feel really fatigued. I almost get symptoms, Shane, like I'm getting the flu. Mm. And so I'll get that real like lethargy in my body and that's an early warning sign. It's not a that I'm like kind of going too hard and I'm much more aware that that's a problem than I would have been years ago. Mm. So the other side of it is when things that you used to enjoy, you don't. So like social activities that you would normally be like able to kind of have fun and enjoy those moments, you kind of feel a sense of detachment. They're some of the signs for me and some of the signs I've seen in other people. What's your take though? What would be some of your early warning signs? I'm glad you said that. I, I find those are two big warning signs for me as well. One is that I start to retreat from what would be considered really meaningful relationships. So people that I would love spending time with any other time of the week, they text and I go, I just don't have the energy to see them. That's a huge warning sign for me uh, personally. Um, the other thing is, yeah, that, that sense of not being able to almost get sick but not recover. So you, you find yourself getting sick all the time, but just as you start to feel a little bit better, you get sick again. And it's just that recurring sickness that keeps showing up. I find that shows up a lot for me. And probably the biggest one, this is me personally, again, I can't speak to this as a, as a professional, but what I can say are some warning signs for me is, is this cognitive fatigue, which is my ability to make decisions really, like it really gets impacted. So things that I would consider to be really straightforward, easy decisions to make, I get that decision fatigue. And so someone will Mm. be like, what do you want to have for dinner? And it's almost like they've asked me, how do you solve world hunger? It's like one of the most impossible questions to answer in that moment. Because I'm like, I just, I don't have the energy to think about what I want to do for dinner. And it's like, what do you want to wear today? It's like, I don't know. It's just like everything feels like fatigued. And I think for people who are in high, fast paced, high stress kind of roles, you're making such high level decisions every single day. And if you find yourself getting to that point of decision fatigue, it's not just going to impact your ability to perform within your role. It'll impact every other area that your life touches. And so I think those are some potential red flags or warning signs that we might go, oh gosh, the the check engine lights on. (laughs) And it's like, I could keep driving and I could keep going, but if I'm not going to slow down, stop and actually take a service here, I might be heading down the path of some real trouble. 
Might be heading for a breakdown, metaphorically. <laughs> I always love that thought of like, I, I had a breakdown this morning on the way to work and they're like, is your car okay? It's like, oh, what about what about my car? I'm like, oh no, I was just on the side of the road bawling <laughs> no, my eyes out. <laughs> I saw a tweet uh, yesterday that was like, where it's nearly Christmas and I have only three mental breakdowns left before the holidays. <laughs> and I was kind of like, if you start to be like, I can make it. I've got three mental breakdowns left before the Christmas holidays. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> like I'm just going to check each one off my list. But I do think you make a really good point in all seriousness about the, I, I like what you're saying about the decision fatigue. And, and for me, I kind of also think about that fatigue if you apply it to an area that you're quite good at. So one thing for me that I love to do is I love, I love writing and I like that creative outlet that that gives me. But if I find I have nothing, like I sit down on, and when I usually kind of get into the zone and find that to be something that energizes me, it's a strength and there's just, it's just like crickets, like there's nothing there. That is also another one of those kind of flags. So I think for you personally, if you're listening I want you to try and figure out, apply this lens to the things that you're good at and go, okay, if I'm starting to see that my areas of natural strength, that it's not coming naturally to me and I'm finding it's like, what's going on? Why is this not working? That can often be one of those early indicators. And I think the great way that you've framed this, Shane, is like saying, okay, we're not psychologists, we're not doctors, we've had our own kind of lived experience but it's also something to talk to a health professional about if you feel like you're experiencing some stuff like this. There is so much benefit to talking this through with people who can really help you to understand these things. Because when you're in that position of, of maybe you're approaching burnout, it can be hard to get that objective view on yourself. So having someone else's opinion and perspective is so healthy and so beneficial. So seek out that help if this sounds like something that resonates with you and where you're at at the moment. I love that you touched on the conversation about therapy because I think this is one thing that most people overlook when it comes to those early signs of burnout is we wait until we've had the car crash or that we're in the ambulance to get the professional support that we need. And most people don't realize that actually you can prevent the car crash. You can prevent the end state if you can pick up on those warning signs nice and early. There's a couple of things that just I want to touch on quickly because you just triggered me to think about this. I have a friend of mine who is in family law. So basically she's dealing with families going through divorces and you know a lot of kind of family breakdowns. When do you think is the most or the busiest time of the year for them? Christmas. It's not. It's January oh. and February. It's just after Christmas. Because this oh. time of the year is when people come together, they bring everybody into the house, they have Christmas together, and that's almost the last straw for people. <laughs> so that by the time January, February rolls around, they're like, I'm done. And when do you think, I spoke to a therapist, when do you think is the number one time of the year that people typically resign from their jobs? January. No, it's about now, um, about this time of the year. I got zero from two. <laughs> zero out of two. Yeah, again, they, but your answers make sense, right? But most of the times, I remember going to see a therapist and I said, I just want to, I feel like I want to quit my job. But he said, that's fine, just wait until January. 
And I was like, well, why is that? He said, because if you think about now, most people have been going really hard for nine, 10, 11 months of the year. Lots of people haven't taken leave. They haven't had a good holiday. They haven't had a chance to slow down and rest. Things are ramping up towards Christmas. They're looking to, and they just feel like I'm done. I'm over it. I'm out, but I'm just hanging on until I get to Christmas. But you find in January and February, everyone takes two weeks off, three weeks off. They kind of slide into the new year. Everyone rocks back into the office going, I feel really good. I've had some time off. I feel really great. Mm. And so uh, the other thing is, is to kind of recognize not just where are you at physically and emotionally right now, but also what time of the year are we in? So for people who go, I feel really burned out. Sometimes I would say you need to get out. And some, maybe your advice for some people is actually, you probably need to get out of that environment or that role because it's not helpful to you. Other people, I might say to you, can you just give it until January? Could you just maybe push it until February and take the time off over Christmas to self-evaluate and reflect so that you can come back into the new year feeling fresh, build some new systems in place going forward because it is also a a marker of this time of year for people. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good call out. There's a really good follow-on question from Holly that says, how do we support your team so they don't get overwhelmed or burnt out? So I'm assuming Holly is a manager. What advice would you have for managers to help them in this space? Because I think one of the roles that they can play is they can be that positive influence because sometimes employees, as employees, we don't know where we're at in that kind of burnout, those stages of burnout. So what advice would you have for a leader to help their team? Oh, I think the first thing that comes to mind, and and maybe I'm keen to get your thoughts on this as as I kind of think through the answers, but I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, is to be able to identify your team's markers. So one of the things is being able to identify within yourself, when am I heading down that pathway that is towards burnout? And what, what are my signs that help me to realize that? And then the second part is what are my team's markers so that I can start to become aware of those. So for example, sometimes you're working with a team member and then, you know, when they just rock in one day and they are just so rude and abrupt and it's so out of character. And as a leader, you're like, oh my gosh, they're just like in a foul mood. And, and you kind of get really angry or upset about that. If you know that that is a telltale sign that they're feeling stressed or anxious or worried or whatever the kind of outcomes of that behavior is, you give them the benefit of the doubt that that's not a regular behavior and you can step in and go, hey, I I just want to make an observation. I'm seeing this behavior and that's a warning sign for me that maybe you're feeling this way. Can we have a conversation about that? Uh, I know as as a team member, there were, there were times when I showed up and I was just feeling exhausted. I didn't want to go over and above. I didn't want to do it. I just want to do the bare minimum. And I could have had a manager that basically said, hey, you've been doing the bare minimum. Here's a written warning, which again, does nothing for me in my performance and my development. Instead, having a manager that goes, hey, I've noticed this behavior and that seems really out of character for you. And I'm really worried about you. And I want to know how I can help. Oh my gosh, that in invites a conversation Mm. and that invites me into something which feels safe and it raises the level of trust and psychological safety within a team, which allows to speak more openly and honestly about where I'm at. Yeah, it's such a different style of conversation. And I think think to your point of understanding your team and the markers, I, I was doing an exercise the other day in a workshop with a team based in Canberra and it was such a beautiful, it was one of those workshops that I just left and I was like, that team is so vulnerable and open and honest and there's so much health. Like they were just so real. And they did this activity 
we kind of call it the culture flags where we go through and we indicate what is the signs of us when we feel healthy? What are the kind of orange flags? So the signs that early warning signs and what are the red flags? So what are, what are the behaviours we see personally as individuals and collectively as a team? And it's really funny because they're so different for each person. So for one person, it might be they become short and abrupt. That might be the early warning sign. But for another person, it might be that they go quiet. It's quite a different response. It's like they might become the path of least resistance person. They just say yes to everything because they're fatigued. So this early warning signs for each person are so different. And it was amazing when you're in this moment and you're not under stress and you're not under threat and you can do that conversation, how much better it is than waiting to the moment where someone's already quite a, a way along that journey and you're, you as a leader, you're trying to figure it out on the fly. I think being really intentional with, okay, when things are good, let's get my team together and define and start to understand what does each person look like when they're in the healthy zone? What are some of the behaviours they might see when they're kind of in the orange flag zone and what are the red flags? And so then you can spot them and help your team and help each other spot them. So it doesn't just have to be the leader or the manager of the team. It can be collectively we can see that in each other. That's like the, the whole purpose of a dashboard in the car is it's designed to, whilst you're looking through the, wind, the windshield of the, the journey that you're on, you can glance down at some indicators of our health, our journey, our, you know, resources. So I look down at the fuel, I go, I've got half a tank of fuel left and I've got two tanks worth of fuel that I need to get to my destination. I'm going to have to stop soon and get some fuel. You look down and you see that the check engine light comes on. You go, oh my gosh, that might be an issue with my engine. I might need to put some more oil in the engine. So I think what you're touching on, which is really nice, is getting your team together almost before you start the road trip getting them in the room and going, okay, let's have a conversation about the journey ahead of us. We know we've got a two-day journey ahead of us. And as a leader, especially when you're working on big projects, you go, team, all right, we've got a big project in front of us and we need to deliver this by Christmas. That's hard work for us to be able to do. And we know that it's only going to be two months of of hard work or we know that it's going to be, you know, two weeks of, of, of going over and above to make this happen. So can we get really clear on what you're touching on there? What are our check engine lights? What are, what's our dashboards? What's our resources? What's required of us? So that when we're in and we're actually driving, we're not trying to go back to the start and figure out, oh, actually, we didn't put enough fuel in the tank for us to even get there in the, in the first place. Or the lights have been blinking at us for the last, you know, 20 kilometres and we've lost someone on the side of the road or, you know, we forgot to put Shelly in the car because Shelly's still back in the at the, the, the place we left from. Petrol station. You know? <laughs> Shelly's at the petrol station. We left her behind. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I love it. It's a really great way to think about it. And I, I think everyone plays their part. And I, I love the thinking about burnout as a, we can manage this collectively as a team. Like you can help build a healthy team. It's not just the role of the individual. It's not just the role of the manager. Like every person can play their part to build that. So I love that kind of analogy and thought. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I've got a couple more questions around, and these are bangers. I've got one about negative self-talk. And I have to say, I've been thinking a lot about negative self-talk. So that's going to be a good one. And then also about being new to management. We'll be back in a sec. If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, 
or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audio book, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right. Shane. <laughs> okay, here we go. These have been really deep. I, I didn't prepare you for any of these either. I was just like, <laughs> let's let's do all these listener questions and then boom, straight in, deepest yeah, questions. Let's go straight into therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Okay. How do you maintain confidence and navigate pessimistic self-talk when you're starting a new career? Oh, <sighs> okay. Well, you know what? The funny thing is I think we said – this could be a whole podcast in and of itself on negative self-talk, but I've got to say, Shane, I've been doing quite a bit of reading on this because I started to notice like my own self-talk and want to address it. But before I, before I overshare, <laughs> what's your take? Uh, why don't, please overshare first. I'm all for this. I know people listening will absolutely love it as well. Uh, you know, I'm glad this is a topic that came up because I was looking back through our podcasts that we've done together. One of the very first podcasts you and I did together was from team member to people leader or passenger to pilot. And we talked about all the shifts that people need to make when going from a team member mindset to a team leader mindset. And as I look back at that, kind of how that IP has evolved and changed, there was one piece that I think was missing in all of the conversations that I've done about this. Um, I talked about the nine shifts that leaders go through when they're navigating from team member to people leader. And there's a 10th one that I haven't talked about. And it's the one that is the most important and should be the, the fundamental first shift, which is the mindset shift. Uh, because there is an entire mindset shift that takes place when you are in a team member role to navigating to a team leader role, um, or even just navigating any kind of significant career transition, which is how on earth do I get control over my internal narrative and my internal thoughts? because they're significantly impactful on the way that we show up. There's two things I, I say. The first one is actually Brene Brown. She said the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are the most powerful. And then I, the second one that I would add is the stories that we tell about ourselves to other people are also uh, profound and impactful. Um, but if we touch on that first mm. one, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Shell, what's your, <laughs> what's your, your story that you tell about yourself <laughs> to yourself? <laughs> Yeah, we're going to go there. Okay, so how vulnerable, Shane. I've been thinking things about negative self-talk because I've noticed probably over the last year that I have quite a bit of negative self-talk. And I think your point just before about when you have a transition, I reckon that is so key because 
for me in the last like few years, I've had quite a big transition with moving and starting my own business. And I think that's been a catalyst for it. It was feeling like, oh, I don't know anything. So all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know anything. So that negative self-talk started a whole probably bunch of things of, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not confident. I can't do it. All these kind of statements that I, I say to myself as fact. And then slowly they become your belief system, I think. And what I realized in myself, I kind of had these two tracks going on in my head at any one time. It's like the kind of stay small voice. And I think Amy Silva would talk about this as like your fear voice, where you have this fear internal narrative that's like fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of not being good enough. And then I think you have this other kind of internal narrative, which is like, the take the risk, play big, do the thing. It's like the call to who you could be and to you at your most confidence state. And I think what happens when we give too much airtime to that fear narrative or that stay small narrative, that's the negative self-talk, we end up forming that as part of our belief of who we are. And it's just simply not true, but we, we think that it's truth. And For me, it's been this process of identifying those patterns and going, okay, I need to start to shift that. So where I would say, I don't know that, I've changed it to, I don't know that yet. And it's a just subtle shift. Or what do I know about myself? I know that I like to learn. So how do you subtly shift your own internal narrative to be more optimistic instead of closed-minded? Mm. That was a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> the thing, but thanks for sharing it, Shell, because I think one of the things that's really harmful is for people, as, I mean, I listen to podcasts all the time and I listen to hosts and I'm like, oh my gosh, they've just got their life sorted out. Or I, what, I look at people in business and I'm like, <laughs> if I could just be like you, then I would not have all these ridiculous internal thoughts and internal narratives. And you forget that you, me, probably every single person that you look up to is experiencing the challenges of their own internal self-talk. You mentioned Amy Silver. Um, Dr. Amy Silver has this kind of um, a lot about the loudest guest is the title of her book. And she talks about the loudest guest in your head. And there was one thing that you said that I want to kind of just touch on, which is that I've got this kind of internal self-talk that is kind of feeding this belief system. And I want to maybe just reframe that a bit because I reckon it's the other way around. And I reckon what you have is a belief system, which is framing a negative self-talk or or an automatic negative thought. So if we look at most cognitive behavioral therapy, what it is, is is this kind of fundamental belief that it's not just the events that happen to us that make us feel a particular way, but it's our belief about that event, which ultimately helps us or causes us to feel in a particular way. And so when most people go to a a therapist, what they're trying to do is is trying to unpack what those unhelpful beliefs are that we hold. And as a result of those beliefs, we have what we call automatic negative thoughts or negative automatic thoughts. I call them automatic negative thoughts because I heard someone describe them like ants. They're like little ants that crawl through your brain. And I've never been able to kind of get that image out of my, my head. And what you'll find is that there is an 
an unhelpful belief that is driving this automatic negative thoughts. And they call it your primary versus your secondary response. Your primary response is, we call them automatic because we, we don't control them, right? So if you've been walking down the street and something happens and then all of a sudden the thought pops in your head, it's like you didn't choose to think that thought. It just was there. You know, someone says, hey, we're, we're inviting a bunch of people to this really important meeting. You're not on the list immediately you're like, what have I done wrong? I'm an idiot. I've, it's obviously because I, was, I did something here. That automatic thought, you didn't choose that. And so we have automatic thoughts, but they're, they're stemmed from some kind of core underlying belief. And so we can't choose our primary response, but we can choose our secondary response, which is what we think in response to those automatic thoughts. And what you did just kind of beautifully for people listening was to show how to reframe an automatic negative thought, which was, I don't know. Well, actually, I don't know yet. Or they didn't invite you because you're a loser. <laughs> like, oh no, maybe I didn't get invited because there's other reasons. Maybe it wasn't relevant that I was part of that conversation. So being able to catch those automatic thoughts. But what I will say is really important is to get back to the fundamental belief system that's underpinning all of that, which is what do I believe about myself that is influencing the way I'm showing up and thinking about myself? Yeah, and I guess that goes to the big question and I'm so glad you, you you said that around what is the order, right? I go It goes to the big question of how do you change your belief systems? Yeah. And for me, one of the things I've found with this moving out of the negative self-talk into having a more like positive internal narrative has been, I feel like you have to get people around you and you have to hear from a disproportionate number of people who challenge your limiting beliefs. Because sometimes it's like, okay, I need to listen to the people in my world who have a counterpoint to my own internal narrative. And I know that I know that for Liddy, who's asked this question, there'll be people in her world that see her so vastly differently to how yeah. she's seeing herself and how she's and that negative self-talk that she's listening to. So so that's my take of like how getting people around you who can help you listen and tune into that play big voice that's like you at your most confident uh, state, what other ways can you change the belief system? Yeah, I feel like our answer to most of today's conversation is to get a therapist. <laughs> I think it's so funny. Um, the answer is, is just get a therapist because that's <laughs> that's their job. They're trained to help you like unpack your limiting or unhelpful beliefs. Um, but there's two things that I'll say um, is outside of get a therapist. One is don't just ask yourself for your internal narrative, is this true? Truth is such a relative concept and idea. If you ask people 100 years ago, is the earth flat or is it round? People would say, no, our truth says it's flat. And you were like, of course now we know it's round maybe. Um, <laughs> but if you ask people in science, truth is always kind of evolving. And so there are some internal thoughts that you might have that actually could be true. But the better question to ask is, is this thought helpful? So for example, you're about to get up on stage and deliver a big presentation and in your head you're going, you're going to stuff this up. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to fumble over your words. Now, is it true? Possibly. I mean, I've been speaking for years and I still fumble over my words. I still make mistakes. So of course it's true. But is it helpful sitting there side of stage going, you're going to stuff this up. You're going to make some big mistakes. Of course it's not helpful. So the, the litmus test for an internal narrative is not, is it true? But is this helpful? Is this, is this narrative serving me right now? And the second thing I'd say is if let's get really practical for this, because I think practicality is really important for people. I do an exercise with, with the people I work with as a coach. We call it the big assumptions, which is what are your big assumptions that get in the way of your goals, right? So 
maybe just kind of pause the podcast for a moment, go grab a piece of pen and paper and, and pull it out in front of you. And I want you to write down kind of five boxes from left to right. Okay. So the first one is I want you to write your goal, which is what's the thing that you're working towards. So write goal, kind of write your goal, come back. And then the second thing I want you to write is what are you doing or not doing right now? That is kind of preventing or helping kind of achieve that goal. And I'll give you some example of this when we, when we get to the end. The third box I want you to write is what's the fear, the worry, or the reason that you're doing or not doing something. The fourth one is identify what are your hidden or competing goals, which are what are the goals because of that fear, worry, or reason that are actually working against the goal that you're working towards. And then as a result of that, the last box is what are your big assumptions about that that you've made? Or you can call them your beliefs or your, I, I prefer big assumptions. So let me give you an example of how that plays out. So your goal might be, well, what I really want to do is confront more of the negative team behaviors. So maybe there's someone on my team and they're being you know, unproductive behaviors and I want to confront that. So what are you doing or not doing? Well, right now what I'm doing is I'm avoiding conflict because I'm, you know, I'm leaving things to go on for too long. And as a result of that, the behavior is kind of just snowballing almost. So what's the fear, worry, or reason? So why are you doing that? Well, my fear, worry, or reason is if I confront that behavior, the team member might not like me. So now you've got your fear, worry, or reason. What's the hidden or competing goal? Well, the hidden goal in there is I actually, well, I need my team to like me. And the reason why I'm allowing it to go on for too long is because I'm worried they might not like me if I confront that behavior. So the big assumption that comes as a result of this is I can't have conflict and have my team like me is the big assumption that you've made or an unhelpful belief that you're holding. So if you hold that big assumption that I can't have conflict and have my team like me at the same time, then you'll always be working against the goal, which is to confront that negative team, that negative behavior. So Go back, rewind the podcast, work your way through, pick your own goal and go, what are your big assumptions that are getting in the way of you actually achieving the goal that you want to achieve? Yeah, that's amazing. I love how practical that is for people. And I, I think this area of self-talk is so huge for people and especially at those critical moments where you have a transition. Maybe you just got promoted to manager. Maybe you started a new career. Maybe you're thinking about a new career and you're, you've got that internal narrative. Do the deep work. Go and get Dr. Amy Silver's book. It has helped me so much. I've talked about it endlessly on this podcast, The Loudest Guest. It is so practical and it will help to overcome one of those fears that might be holding you back from taking that next step. Oh, we've got time for one more question to close out this conversation. Last question. I think this is from Daniel and it's a, it's a bit of uh, verbal processing as he's writing. So I'm going to read it as it is, but I think we can dive into this question uh, as we go. Recent experience gauging just how stupidly busy and stressed you can get by staying in a rut and having courage to say enough is enough, objectively looking at pros and cons to make a decision and attempt to take the emotion out of the equation, even though that can be very hard. So there's a question in there. Thank you, Daniel. I can tell Daniel is in a um, tricky spot at the moment and dealing with some stress. And I think that's a good thing to go. How do you take the emotion out and make a more objective situation, which is hard to do when you're emotionally invested and stressed? <laughs> so hard, so hard. Um, I, I don't know. Sorry, Daniel. I don't know if you're going to like this answer. I'll just be really honest. And maybe a lot of people may not like this answer. I don't think you can make a strategic decision when you're in a reactive mindset. If you are in that 
firefighting, reactive, overwhelmed, heading down the pathway to kind of burnout, which we've been touching on a little bit in this episode, it's really hard to get into that blue sky thinking, strategic opportunity, you know, vision for the future, decision making. And so the hardest part in all of this is you have to find time to make time or make time to find time. I don't know how to, how to mm-hmm. say that, that right, but you, you have to carve out space within the ridiculous, like busy, stressed kind of space that you're in to get back into that blue sky style of thinking, which is start to reimagine the future and start to see the possibility and opportunity and things again. And so the simplest way that I would encourage people to do that would be to sit down with a pen and paper, draw a line through the middle of the sheet and look at what is all the transactional work or the reactive work that I'm focused on right now? What is the strategic high level, big picture work that I'm on right now uh, and that I'm, that I'm doing right now? And chances are good, 80, 90% of it will be at the bottom and there might be 10 or 20% at the top would be going, how do I remove some of the stuff on the bottom? And by removing stuff on the bottom, you allow more space for that stuff up the top, which is the strategic conversations about the future. And so if you do feel less reactive, you can probably make better decisions about the future. So maybe not a popular answer, but I think it's an important one. I think a lot about this idea of getting unstuck. Mm. Like when you're in these like high stress modes, it's kind of like a, that vicious cycle and it can be very difficult to get out of it. And you almost need that circuit breaker to go, okay, I'm in this cycle of stress, busyness, overwhelm, and you don't typically make great dis- big decisions when you're in that mode. Mm. So we need to find a way for Daniel to go, okay, what's the circuit breaker? How can I get that margin that you described? So I love that practical tool of looking at the transactional versus the strategic work. I also think that getting unstuck sometimes requires us to kind of confront some of those brutal realities. Mm. And sometimes it might be in the environment that we're in, in terms of the workplace, but sometimes it might be our own behavior. (laughs) (laughs) Like things that we've done, maybe boundaries we haven't set that we should have set that we need to confront and go, hey, I actually created a little bit of a monster here by not saying no to certain things that I probably could have said no to or saying yes to every single thing that comes along. Now, I'm I'm not saying that's the case for you, Daniel, but I do think at times we need to look at and confront, all right, what is the problem? Get clear on what is the problem? Define that in detail. Like I want you to understand what is every single aspect of the problem you've, you're currently facing and then you can work out from there what might be the solution. I think we jump straight to what, what is the solution to this but we don't really, we haven't spent time diagnosing what the actual issue is that we're facing in our career and just to kind of like drill into this, this concept a little bit more, I think for a lot of us, we can get stuck in that habit of, of stress and in that cycle, we quit a job because we're like, no, I'm over it. I'm out. It's too stressful. But because of our own habits, we just take that into the next job and we're like, wait, what is the problem? Oh, wait, it's me. Like my own habits and behaviors and lack of boundaries. (laughs) Right. So I don't know, like, confront the brutal reality. I think that's a Jim Collins quote. Like like get up close and personal with what is the pain here? What is the problem? And then from there you, you can identify the right solution. But if you don't do that work and you make a rash decision and you move and let's say you can like quit 
rage quit, <laughs> go somewhere else. I don't know that you're going to get the, the right solution for you. So that would be my advice. The getting unstuck starts by really understanding the problem before you jump into solution finding. Oh, I, I feel like that's worth saying again, like starting with the problem rather than looking for the solution and make sure it's the right problem that you're solving. Um, we, we talk about this quite a lot. You posted something recently on LinkedIn. One of your favorite questions from Michael Bungay-Stanier is, what was the question? What's the real challenge here for you? Yeah. Which is not always... And the, it is the best question. Yes. Not always the presenting problem. Sometimes there's a problem below the surface that's worth addressing. And if you can address that, you can solve a whole lot more problems with it. Absolutely. And what a good way to end. I think this episode was really deep. Went <laughs> a lot deeper like... than what we thought. This is what happens when you don't stretch beforehand. <laughs> there was no warm up. <laughs> So, hey, well, thank you so much for joining us on this listener Q&A episode. If you have any questions, you can flip them through on LinkedIn or via the My Millennial Money Facebook community. And hey, I just want to say, Shane, thank you as always for hanging out. How can people find out more about you? Oh, let's hang out anywhere online. You can find me at Shane M. Hatton pretty much anywhere. Um, But mostly I hang out on LinkedIn, which is very professional and fun. Professional and fun is how I would describe you. (laughs) And cheeky. Guilty. All right. Well, hey, if if you enjoy the show, give us a five-star rating and review and share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. Thanks for hanging out. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. 